Well, good morning again, Zoe Church. So glad that you are with us this morning as we continue in our series in the book of Philippians. As I've had the chance to study this summer, this book has just been so, so challenging to me. Last week, if you missed the message, you've got to go back and watch it. Pastor Micah shared a powerful word for us. To be honest, the last 15 minutes or so was just kind of like a, a healthy punch to the gut, something that all of us need to hear. So I would encourage you to go back and watch that message. Well, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago something really exciting in our home that we got a dog, you know. Uh, but the one good thing for me is that I, I plan on having lots of sermon illustrations from that dog. And the good news is she's already given me one. Uh, so as a family, we're, we're really blessed that Amber's parents live on a lake about three hours away. And so the fun part for us during the summer is that we go there as often as we can to go just hang out and get a little time away. And so uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we traveled to, to their house and we had the new dog. And it's about three hours, and about an hour down the road, we realize, you know, we should probably pull over and give this dog a chance to go to the bathroom so it doesn't do that in our car. So we pull over, and I just found a random area. There's just kind of a grassy area and some buildings around. And, and so we pull over, I pull the dog out. And then remember, this dog, you, you remember, it was, it's about a two-and-a-half-pound little Morky. This is a little thing, you know. And so, so I set her down in the grass, right? What I had not realized is that the winds were about 30 miles an hour constantly, just blowing, blowing hard, right? So I set the dog down, and the problem is the wind is so strong that this little two-and-a-half-pound dog cannot stand up. Not a joke. She literally can't stand Every time I set her down, she blows over and falls over, and then she tries to stand up, and she falls back over again. She tries to go to the bathroom, and she falls over again. She can't stand up. And so I have to go walk around. I finally found a building with some little shelter area, and I'm, like, trying to block the wind so the dog can just go to the bathroom, you know? And it's really funny. I wish I had had video footage of this to show to you. It was just really funny to watch. But as I thought about it, I realized, man, how often is that how we live? We're trying to stand up. We're trying to stand firm. But the problem is the world is blowing at us. The winds of life are hitting us so hard that we just keep falling over. We keep tipping over. We're having a hard time standing up. You see, the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, Paul talks about this specifically. He's in the midst of a circumstance that... I think it's probably harder than anything you or I will ever face. And yet, he's able to stand firm. And I think as we look at this passage, it's going to challenge us in our faith. I know something about you. I know that the reason you come on here is not because you're trying to have your religious duty taken care of and check your box for the week. You're on here because you genuinely want to grow in your faith. You want to know Christ more. You want to live out this Christian faith better. And I think what we're going to look at today is going to help you in your journey of faith to stand firm no matter what faces you. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter one, uh, beginning uh, in the second part of verse 18. Philippians 1, 18. As you're turning there, just a reminder, we're in our Bible reading plan. We're reading through the entire New Testament together. And if you haven't been joining along with us, it's okay. Jump in right now. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians right now. Tomorrow, we'll post the reading for this whole next week. And so you can go on our social media, either Facebook or Instagram, and find that. Join in with us. If you've kind of gotten off the track a little bit and not been reading recently, it's okay. Just jump right back in, all right? Cool, let's read this beginning in the middle of verse 18 of chapter one. It says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by, better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for an opportunity to hear from your word and I pray in these moments that we will listen, we will hear and our lives will be transformed. We pray that in your name, amen, amen. Uh, well, if you've been in our series in Philippians, you realize, well, we just jumped back because we were already in chapter two and now we're back to chapter one. Well, this was a message that we kind of had to skip over a few weeks back, but I wanted to come back and talk about this. So before we get into this, I want to remind us of the context. Remember, context is so important. The context of this book and this specific passage. And so the book of Philippians is written by the apostle Paul, who was Paul. We know this. Paul was a guy who was trying to kill all the Christians. He was trying to end this thing called Christianity. He had no desire to follow Christ, but he came face to face with a resurrected Jesus. I say this frequently, but he didn't hear a good sermon. He wasn't convinced by someone. He saw the resurrected Jesus, and he went from trying to end Christianity to being the greatest advocate for Christianity that the world has ever seen. And so Paul then begins to go around and plant churches, which are small groups of believers all around. And he goes to the city of Philippi, and he begins a group of believers. He leads some people to Christ, and then begins to form this church that starts to grow. And he's pouring his life into these people, has a deep relationship with them, helping them learn who Christ is and how to live their life of faith. And he moves on and he continues with other churches, but he, he continues this relationship with this church. And Paul is writing this letter from the city of Rome, but not just any circumstance. He's actually under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before the emperor. And so he writes this letter along with a few others. He's writing to these churches to encourage them, to challenge them, to inspire them in their faith, right? And that's what this book is. And so Paul begins at the beginning just encouraging them in their faith, thanking them for the fact that they are partners in the gospel. And this is a major theme in this book, this gospel, that the importance of the gospel, the hope of Christ and he's saying, you guys have been partners with me. And then we get to verse number 12. And Paul begins to talk about the fact that like, while he's in prison, while he's uh, under house arrest, the gospel is actually going forth. More people are sharing the gospel. Now, some of these people are doing it for good reasons. Other people are doing it just despite Paul. Uh, but at the end, we get to verse, the uh, beginning of verse 18. And it says this, but what does it matter, right? None of this matters. I rejoice. Why? Because at least the gospel is going forth. The gospel is being shared, and that's what is most important to Paul. Then we get to the passage we just read. And it begins by saying, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. He is rejoicing here. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read through this passage and talk through this, and then I've got two questions for you and a big so what. He says this, for I know that through your prayers, you guys, you Philippians, you've been praying for me, through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I want to stop here and say this, that we are a spirit-filled church. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit wants to infill us and continue to fill us. And see, that's what Scripture says. So often we think about, I was filled with the Holy Spirit years ago, you know. But that's not what mostly, when, when Scripture talks about that, Scripture's saying to, to be filled and continue to be filled. This is an ongoing thing. And Paul is saying that there is a provision of the Spirit for me right now. And for every one of us, no matter what you're facing in life, and wonder what you got going on today, what you got going on tomorrow. Listen, there's a provision for the, of the Spirit for you. 
Every morning we need to wake up and say, Holy Spirit, I need you today. I don't need yesterday's provision. I need today's. What will you have for me today? Would you fill me fresh and anew with the power of your Holy Spirit? Paul's saying this. There's a provision of the Spirit of Christ. What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. He's talking about this deliverance that's available to him, but but what you're gonna need to understand is that his understanding of deliverance isn't the same for us. Like, I would think, I'm gonna be delivered. Everything's gonna go great. I'm not gonna have any problems, right? But that's that's not what he's thinking here. You'll understand in a moment. Get to verse number 20. It says this. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Ashamed of sharing this gospel, right? That's his passion that the gospel would go forth. And he's like, listen, I'm gonna go stand before the emperor and I'm confident that I'm not gonna be ashamed at all. I'm gonna proclaim the truth. He's already been able to do that. He said this a few er verses earlier that that he's been uh, working and been around all of the temple guard who was guarding him. And he said, listen, all of them have, they know why I'm here. They've heard the hope that I have in Christ, right? And he's saying, listen, I'm going to get to go before the emperor. Who knows? Maybe this is why I'm in chains for no other reason but that I get to stand before the most powerful man in the most powerful nation, Rome, in the entire world, right? And I get to proclaim the hope of God. And and I'm confident because of the spirit in me, because of your prayers, that I'm I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm going to confidently share this hope. But we'll have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. He said, I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm, gonna, I'm confident that, that Christ will be exalted in me. What do we see? We see that for Paul, the most important thing for him is that Christ is exalted, that Christ is honored, that he glorifies Christ. That's what his deep passion is. It isn't what's good for me. It's how is Christ going to be honored through what takes place? But it goes even further than that because he says that that Christ would be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Something I've noticed during this whole COVID-19 experience is, is that a lot of people's fear of death has started to surface. And we all know people in life that, that don't really want to die, that, that maybe have a fear of death. But I, don't, I think most of us don't, don't really want to talk about death, right? I know uh, for Amber and I, we were doing the uh, life insurance policies a couple of years ago. Uh, we'd have to talk about it. And there was all these conversations I had to have with her. And Amber was just like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about you dying, you know. The fact is, she doesn't want me to die because I'm that awesome, right? <laughs> she just doesn't want to live without, I don't think it's that at all. But, but this, is, this is how we are. We don't really want to talk about that. We don't want to think about that. But Paul is more than just saying, we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. He's saying, listen, I'm willing to accept it, right? Why? Because my greatest desire is that Christ is glorified. Whether I live, whether I die, doesn't matter to me. He's not saying I want to die. He's just saying there's something more important, that Christ would be glorified in me. Do you see that kind of attitude? That's crazy, right? Go on to verse number 22. It says this, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Now, this is one of my, one of my most passionate points is, is, listen, every single one of us, there is something for us. I've shared this before. One of my former pastors used to say, if you're breathing, there's a reason. If you're breathing, there's a, if there is breath in your lungs, there is a purpose. There is fruitful labor for you. 
I don't care if you're young. Don't say, I'm too young. Nobody really cares. You can't. I'm saying, I'm too old. Oh, I'm old. I've already done that. Let's let the young people do that. Listen, if you are alive, if there is breath in your lungs, there is something for you. If you're not dead, you're not done, okay? If you're not dead, you're not done. There is something for you. Every one of you, I don't care. You might say, well, I don't have any influence. Nobody really listens to me. I don't have all this, these platforms that other people have. I don't care. If you are alive, there is something that God has for you. There is purpose behind your life. If you begin to think, oh man, there is no purpose for me. You need to take that for what it is. It is a lie from the pit of hell. There is something for you. There is fruitful labor for you. Have an open heart. Be led by his spirit because he has something for you. He goes on though, he says, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. What's he saying? There's two options here. One of those is I could die. Like this could be the end of my life, which is actually really good because I get to be with Christ. Remember my my greatest purpose and, and desire is to glorify Christ. If I die, I get to be with Christ, the beautiful, amazing, holy, righteous, loving Christ, right? He said, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. He's saying, I I could stay here. And and I love this statement because it, it embodies everything that Paul talks throughout this book. Remember we said, we talk about this idea of loving one another and caring for the other. And we said, you know, loving another person is allowing someone else's concerns to outrank your own. And Paul isn't saying, listen, if I die, I get to be with Christ. If I live, I get to live my life for myself. No, if I, if I live, I get to serve you. I get to help you. I get to pour my life out for you. It's a powerful message, right? And then I want to end this. This isn't the core, but this is a really interesting side note. In verse 25, he said, convinced of this. Not that, the, not that I know, not that the Lord has spoken to me, but I've been convinced of this. This is what I think is going to happen. I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress. He's saying, here's what I think is going to happen. I'm going to, of the two choices, I think I'm going to live because I think you guys need me. And why is this interesting? Because if you know church history, you understand that the tradition says that Paul was martyred there in Rome. That He never left Rome. This is probably the last communication he ever has with this Philippian church. Why do I say that? Because I think it's important for us. Sometimes we think, well, I, th- I think I heard God say something or, or we feel like something is going to happen and it doesn't work out the way we think it's going to. We, we feel like, oh, we've missed it somehow. And we can begin to say, oh, maybe I can't trust God. We can begin to say, well, maybe I, maybe I don't really understand God. Maybe I don't really know him. Maybe I'm not really living for him. Is he really there? We begin to question things. And listen, Paul, the powerful man of God, listen, he didn't always have everything right. He didn't always see perfectly We can have confidence in this that, listen, God is still working in your life. We may not get it all right all the time, but he cares. He has grace for you, all right? So this is the passage uh, that we walk together. And what I want to do is I want to ask two quick questions, and then I want to get to our big so what. The first question I want to ask is this, is do you trust God? Do you trust God? Have you ever heard of a trust fall? You know what I'm talking about, a trust fall where you got, you got a couple people and you know, you're supposed to close your eyes, you know, and you, somebody behind you and you fall over and, and they catch you and it's this putting your life into someone else's hands, right? It's, there's actually a funny YouTube video if you've never seen it. There's these two little girls and uh, they're trying to do a trust fall and the mom has got the camera and she's trying to convince the daughter to do the trust fall. And she's got her eyes closed, the daughter does, and she's like, are you there? Are you going to catch me? Uh, what are, what's going to happen? She can tell she's all freaked out. She's not sure. And she's like, okay, I'm going to do it. And she falls forward 
and the sister's behind her, so she falls and smacks out her face. It's a hilarious video, okay? But that's what a trust fall is. It means that, that we're there and we're trusting someone else with our, our lives. But I think you have to ask two questions. The first question you ask before you do a trust fall is, do you trust their power? Do you trust their power? Do you trust that they can actually catch you? They have the ability to catch you. Like, I'm not doing a trust fall with my daughter, Diella. She's not strong enough. She can't catch me, right? Like, that's the first question. But the second question is this. Do you trust their character? Will they actually catch you, <laughs> right? And that's possibly even more important. It doesn't matter if they can't. Will they, right? See, this is what a trust fall is. You're literally putting your life in someone else's hands. In fact, what you are doing more than just simply trusting them, you are entrusting your life to them. See, this is what it means to trust God. Do you trust him? See, for a lot of us, we, we trust God to do what we want. We trust God to do things the way we want them to be done, right? That's how we trust God. And when he doesn't do the way we want, then we say, well, I don't know if I can trust God because he doesn't always do things that I like. Well, <laughs> that's not what it means to trust God. What it means to trust God is to entrust yourself to him. What is Paul saying here? Listen, whether by life or by death, whatever happens, I'm his. I've given myself completely to him. You see, that's why in a circumstance like he's in, he can actually stand firm because his hope in God is not that God is gonna do what he wants. His hope is simply in God. It is in the nature and the character of who God is in this gracious, loving, holy, righteous God, this just God. I'm gonna entrust myself to him. And no matter what takes place, I can be confident. I can stand firm. Do you trust God like that? Think about it. Do you? Second question I want to ask is this. Who are you really living for? Who are you really living for? If we're all honest, let's be real. Most of the time we live for ourselves. Most of the time we are what's most important. We care about ourselves. We think about ourselves. We do what's best for us. That's just how we operate. We're programmed. We live in a world that says, hey, that's how you should live. You should make it all about you. In fact, if you're not getting things your way, you should leave whoever you're married to. You should leave the circumstance, leave the job, leave whatever it is. Make it about you, right? That's what the world tells you. And that's how we live. A lot of times we live, okay, it's all about us. And then, and then maybe I'll care about some others, you know, that close circle that I have around me. I'll care about those people. And if there's space left in my life, I'll, I'll do some things for God, you know? I'll make room for him. But you see, that's not what... The gospel is that's not what it means to follow Christ. To follow Christ means you take that and you flip it on its head. And first and foremost, you say, Christ, I live for you. It's not about me. It's about you. That's what Paul said. Listen, my desire is to glorify Christ. That's more important than whether I live, whether I die, whether I, you know, get to do this, I get to do it. None of those things matter. No, no. Am I going to glorify Christ? That's what's most important. And then after that, he says, then the next thing is not, well, now it's about me. It's about Christ. Then it's about, no, no, it's about Christ. Then it's about how can I serve others? How can I care for others? How can I pour my life out for the sake of others? And I fit in somewhere after all of that. See, that's what it means to follow Christ. So I ask you the question again, who are you really living for? Who are you really, like, is that if people watched you live, if people watched you go about your life, who would they say you're really living for? What's most important? Who is most important? 
That's what it means to follow Christ. To make him Lord means that you died to yourself. It's not about you anymore. He is who is most important. That's what it means to follow. So I want to get to our big so what here this morning because we asked the question, how how is it we're supposed to stand firm when the the waves of, of this life, when the winds of this life are swirling around us trying to knock us over? Uh, How is it we're supposed to actually stand firm, right? Here's the big so what. We can only stand firm when we're firmly planted. We can only stand firm when we're firmly planted. What do I mean? Think about my little dog, Millie, right? A little two and a half pounds, didn't weigh anything, right? And when the winds are blowing, it's just knocking her over. Why? Because there's nothing to help her stand firm. There's nothing grabbing hold of anything. She's just tipping over, right? But then you think about bushes, trees. They're big and tall. Catch these big winds, right? And the wind's blowing through them and grabbing it. You think these trees should be knocked over. They should be torn over. But so often they aren't. Why? Because their roots are deep. They are firmly planted in the ground. Oh, you see the tree up here, but there is a massive amount underneath up here. Deeply, firmly planted that when the winds come against them, they don't have to worry about shifting with the winds because they are rooted in something so much deeper. And see, this is what we see in Paul. Paul is firmly planted. He is rooted deep in Christ. His hope, his joy isn't in anything else. It isn't in things that can change because the problem is when we, when we put our hope in things that can change, in circumstances, in relationships, in jobs, in finances, in the world, in political parties, when we put our hope in those things, well, that's what we're firmly planning on. We're gonna get knocked over because those things can change. But if we are firmly planted on something that never changes, that's the only hope we have. I wanna look at the most important verse in this entire passage, verse number 21. I jumped right over it. This is one of those verses you need to hold on to. Paul says this, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ. What does that mean? The most important thing is Christ. My life is for Christ. He is my everything. He is my source. He is my foundation. He's the one I pursue. He is the relationship I desire. He is what is the one thing that I want in this world more than anything else. My life is about Christ, the beautiful, wonderful Savior, the Lord of all, Christ. To live is Christ. See, when that becomes our foundation, when that is what we are rooted in, nothing can change that. Nothing can shake that. This is why Paul could stand so firm because he wasn't rooted in circumstances and convenience. He's rooted in Christ, to know Christ. That's what it says in chapter three. I wanna know Christ and the power of the resurrection. I wanna know him. That's what I wanna know more than anything else. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. You might say, well, you have a death wish for yourself? No. But it's simply to understand that death is not a negative. Death is a hope. That there is a future for us that death cannot take away. 
We look at 1 Peter, it talks about the fact that there's an inheritance stored up for us in heaven. There is a hope that we have. And when we begin to have this type of perspective where our lives are firmly planted and rooted in, the, in Christ, it is all about Christ. We die to everything else. It is Christ, the eternal Christ. That is our hope. And we recognize that, that death is actually a joy for us because we get to know that there is an inheritance for us. That is where we begin to be firmly planted in a way that nothing in this life can shake us. Nothing can knock us over. As a pastor, I have an opportunity to walk through challenging seasons with people. And a couple years ago, I walked through a very similar circumstance, actually an identical circumstance with two different couples. They had tragic, tragic loss in their life, the kind of thing you would never want to imagine. And for one couple, I watched them, and as this circumstance unfolded in the, in the months to follow, you began to realize something, that although they, they were followers of Christ, you could tell that they, their roots were not firmly planted. They had not wrestled with their faith. They had not made it fully their own. And during this season, rather than standing firm, I saw them begin to get knocked over by the winds. And in time, they began to, to really step away from Christ altogether. And at the same time, I watched another couple go through the exact same tragedy, the exact same pain. But this couple was firmly rooted in Christ. Oh, did did they not have to deal with the same pain? No, they did. Their pain was deep. It was hard. Their, their wrestling was painful. But their roots were firmly planted in Christ. To live is Christ. Oh, I don't like this pain. I don't like what's going on. But my greatest joy is God himself. It's Christ. To know him. To live for him. To glorify him. Whether by life or by death. You see, where you're planted determines whether you can stand. My desire for us as followers of Christ is that we wouldn't go through the motions of, you know, just say, yeah, I'm a Christian. No, that our roots would go deep, right? Our hope would go deep into Christ. That we wouldn't just be casual believers. Listen, that's not what he's called. He's called us to, to die, to lay ourselves down, to plant ourselves firmly, to make him Lord, not just Savior, make him Lord and to give our lives for him. And when we do that, we can be sure that that is a faith that can endure. That is a faith that can persevere. That is a faith that can last no matter what the winds are facing you. And some of you right now are facing those winds. Rather than trying to combat the winds, I challenge you to this. Dig your roots deep. Respond to the love and the grace of God not by saying, well, I'll add you when it's convenience, but to respond by saying, God, I trust you. I entrust my life to you. I live for you. And no matter what happens in this world, I'm yours. I give myself to you completely. We begin to live that way. That's a faith that endures. I want to pray for you because every single one of us have, have challenges in life that we face. My prayer is that, that we wouldn't wait till the challenges come. Instead, we would take the step right now to dig deep so that when the winds come, we're ready for it. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you so much that all this is our response to you, God. First and foremost, it says you loved us. While we were sinners, you loved us. You cared for us. And you desire to invite us into your kingdom. And we thank you for that promise and that hope. 
And Lord God, we, we want to in turn give ourselves to you, to entrust ourselves to you. And I pray for every single person that's watching right now who maybe has been hit by the winds. God, I pray that you would remind them of the hope that they have in you. And God, that you would help reveal yourself to them in a deeper way. Reveal your goodness and your character to them, Father, that they can entrust themselves to you. And God, that the result is that they would have roots that are so deep, a foundation that is so firm that no wind could knock them off. God, I pray that you would help us that way, Lord. God, I pray for anyone who has never given their lives to Christ. God, I pray that you would uh, just challenge them right now. Draw them to yourself in a deep and a fresh way. God, may they turn their hearts toward you today. We pray that in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got a challenge for all of you that we'll, we'll get to in a second here, but, but I want to encourage any of you, if, if you really want to explore what, is it, what does faith look like, what does it mean to follow Christ, I want to challenge you uh, just to email me at, at uh, faith at zchurch.org, faith at zchurch.org, and I'll have an opportunity to connect with you that way and encourage you in this journey of faith. Uh, but I want to give a challenge to all of you. It's actually something that we've been working on the last several weeks. I challenge you together, we are going to memorize Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. And so a couple of weeks ago, I encouraged you to memorize verses 5 and 6. And, uh, and this week, I want, if you didn't do that, just jump in and, and work on that. But I'm going to challenge you to add verse 7, verses 5 all the way through verse 7. This is one of those passages, the core of the book of Philippians, and really speaks to what does it mean to follow Christ. And it, it's one of those passages that I believe the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind throughout your week, throughout your day, as we, as we dig this deep into our hearts. And so I would encourage you over this next week, next week we're going to try to quote verses 5 through 7 together. So I encourage you to join me in on that, all right? Uh, well, we want to close our time together with one more opportunity to worship together. So would you sing with us?